I'm just seeing a coincidence as possible. There were a lot of details that never came out. Why don't you donate five dollars to the cause and maybe it'll make you feel better. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about memories. And more specifically, sensory memories. And no, it's not a term I'm making up. Sensory memories is a legitimate scientific term. You can look it up. But sensory memories are those memories that are triggered by a sound or a smell or a taste or even a touch. Your senses can trigger memories, take you back to some place, remind you of something or someone. And there are a lot of sensory memories from my past that I never experience anymore. And some of that is because, like in the case of my grandfather's shed, it doesn't exist anymore. But some things, like a technological thing, let's say a typewriter, that's another sensory memory that just doesn't exist anymore. So I wanted to talk about a few of those today and tell you about them because they're things that are basically lost. Some may be familiar, some may trigger a memory for you, but I wanted to preserve these little snippets just because one day, unless I do, nobody will remember them. They'll be gone forever. Nobody will have ever heard of them. Nobody will know about my grandfather's shed. And you know, we have sensory memories right now. Just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. If you pick up your smartphone, and it does depend on which smartphone you have, but there are sensory memories triggered by your smartphone. Like if you had an old school flip phone, for instance, when you snapped that phone open, you'd flip it open with your thumb. It was kind of like a communicator from the original Star Trek series. There was just a feel to that motion of flipping the phone open. And if you're like me and you open it with your left hand, there would be that feel of pressing the buttons to dial a number with the thumb of your left hand. There was just that little click, that little touch, that little sensation. It was just a subtle little click. But even that memory is gone for the most part because we don't have those flip phones anymore. But if you take out your smartphone right now, if you unlock it, first of all, you're going to sweep up with your thumb, probably your right thumb, unless you're left-handed, then it'll be your left thumb. And that'll unlock it. Once it's unlocked, you have your screen open. And if you hit that home button, you hear that little click, you feel that little vibration in the phone, and you get used to feeling that. When you hit those buttons, when you do those swipes, swipe up, swipe left, swipe right, click on a button, click on an app, you're going to feel a little sensory ping in your thumb or your finger, however you touch it. You're going to hear that little click as the app opens. These are the kind of sensory memories that I'm talking about. And every age has them. Every person has them. Some of them are unique to the person. I mentioned my grandpa's shed a couple of times. I've talked about it before. My grandpa had a shed detached from the house. And he died when I was something like three years old. So I didn't really know him that well. I have a couple of vague memories of him. I've told you I have a memory of his socks. Because I remember sitting on the couch. And he would lie on the couch. And he always had white socks on. So there's a sensory memory right there. Just the visual in my mind's eye of my grandfather's white socks. I don't know why that stuck with me, except that that was my grandfather and they were right there. But the other memory I have, I didn't spend time in the shed with him. I just remember having to go into the shed to get things out of the shed for my grandmother. Long after my grandfather had passed, grandma might need some nails or a hammer or something out of the shed. And I'd get nominated to go out and get it. And you'd open that door and it would creak open. And there was this musty smell, old wood, old leather, mixed with oil, mixed with maybe a little gasoline. All of those smells combined to smell like Grandpa's shed. 
Now, I know that description doesn't really do it justice, and you can't really tell what that smells like to me. But if you have an old house or old shed or old barn that you visit, your grandparents, your uncle, your aunt, if you go in there, you'll notice a smell, a scent, an odor that you'll associate with that location. And that's what I have with my grandfather's shed. I've actually experienced that smell in some of the older houses that I visited when I go to garage sales or when I go to auctions. It's something about the old leather in a jacket or a pair of gloves combined with the smell of old gasoline or an old motor combined with the smell of older wood that's been sitting in a barn for a couple of decades. All of those smells combined for this vintage musky kind of smell. And I've walked into barns and I've walked into sheds and I go, oh, that reminds me of Grandpa's shed. I have a similar sensory memory with the smell of bacon. Not all of the time and not every time I smell it cooking, but there are certain times, and maybe it's the time of day, maybe it's the time of year, but I'll catch the smell of bacon cooking, and sometimes that smell will trigger a memory of visiting my grandmother. Because when we visited my grandmother, she cooked bacon. We would stay overnight, and for breakfast, she would make bacon and eggs. And we would wake up to the smell of cooking bacon, and it was marvelous. It was incredible. It just said, ah, comfortable breakfast food with grandma. It was great. I love that smell. I love that sensory memory. Smells are good for sensory memories. Burning leaves. That's another great smell. When I was a kid, before they instituted all the laws against burning leaves, my dad would rake up leaves in our yard and we would set them on fire to get rid of them. It was always a contained burn. It's not like we just set the yard on fire. We'd have a nice pile in the middle of the gravel driveway so it couldn't spread and then set them on fire to get rid of them. And the smell of burning leaves, oh, it was such a glorious autumn smell. So good. So natural. It just smelled delicious. Another smell from childhood. I remember when we would be out playing on a hot summer's day and the sun's been beating down all day, making you hot, making the yard hot, making the driveway hot, making the road hot. Well, sometimes the rain would start falling in the middle of the afternoon. You know, those thunderstorms rolling in the afternoon. And I remember the smell of the rain hitting the hot tar on the road. And it's a smell that's impossible to describe. I mean, it's rain hitting tar. What does that smell like? But there's a distinct smell to that. And every time I smell it to this day, it takes me back to my childhood. I remember the smell of rain on the hot tar. And it always smelled like summer to me. And to this day, it still does. So those are some of the sensory smells that I remember. Those are some of the smells that still trigger memories. But there are other sensory memories that are fading more because of the way technology is evolving and because of the way people are evolving. For instance, and this is going to be a gross one. I'm going to tell you right up front, this is a little gross. When I was in school, whether it was high school, grade school, even college, people would chew gum. And for whatever reason, some people, instead of throwing their gum away, would stick it to the bottom of a chair or stick it to the bottom of a desk. And there were plenty of times in my life where I'd hold onto the desk, put my hands underneath the desk, or put my hands underneath the chair, and I'd run into that glob of gum. 99 times out of 100, it was already dried and hard, and you knew what it was. It was just somebody else's gross, stiff gum sitting on the bottom of the chair. And it was just disgusting. It was just so gross. I don't know why people did it then, but I haven't touched gum on a chair or on a desk in many, many years. Maybe it's because I haven't been back to school. Maybe people aren't chewing gum the way they used to. But that sensory memory of putting your hand on a wad of gum on the bottom of a chair, <laughs> it's a memory I have. It's not one that I miss. But there are other memories of touch that I do miss. For instance, 
that feeling of dialing a telephone, not using the dialer on the cell phone, not even using a push button phone, although that's a memory too. But I remember putting my finger in the wheel that was on the front of every telephone in order to dial a telephone number. And I've mentioned this in the past. When I was growing up, telephone numbers had seven digits. You didn't have to dial the area code back then if you were calling locally. And so you would put your finger in the hole seven different times for the seven different numbers. And notice how I'm just breezing right past the fact that I just said I put my finger in the hole seven different times. You can make your own jokes here. But yeah, you would put your finger in the dial. And there were two schools of thought on this. You would put your finger in the eight, for instance, and you'd wheel the eight all the way around to the stop. There was a stop on the dial. And you'd feel it click as you went around and you got to the stop. Some people would take their finger out of the hole and let the dial go back on its own. Others would keep their finger in the hole and let it ride the dial back. I usually pulled my finger out, but not always. Sometimes I chose to leave my finger in. You know, I think I'm just going to move ahead. I'm not even going to talk about dialing the phone anymore. But that was a sensory memory of dialing the phone. The other sensory memory associated with the phone is the clicking of the hang-up button. But if you remember what an old phone looks like, or if you don't know what an old phone looks like, there was a little button that the receiver would rest on, and that's how you disconnected a call. So that button had two purposes. If you were in the middle of a call and wanted to make another call really quickly, you would just push that button down, disconnect the call, let it up, and dial a new number. But the other purpose that button served is if you were mad at somebody, you could slam the receiver down on that button, and they hear that on the other side. You don't get that anymore. You can't slam a cell phone down. Have you ever tried to hang up angrily on somebody using a cell phone? It can't be done. That's a sensory experience we've lost. Slamming that receiver down in anger or frustration at somebody on the other end of a phone call. We don't have that memory anymore. And this generation of kids is never going to know the joy of hanging up on somebody with fury and frustration the way we used to. You know another thing about the phone that's a sensory memory that we don't have anymore? That long, curly cord that attached the receiver to the base? If you were involved in a long telephone call, you would sit there and fidget with that long, curly cord. Sometimes you'd uncurl it as you're talking. You'd have the receiver propped between your ear and your shoulder, holding it in place, and you'd use both hands to uncurl the cord and then curl it back up again. Or sometimes you'd have a pen or a pencil and you'd coil the cord around the pen or pencil. Sometimes you'd stretch it out. Sometimes you'd put your fingers in it. You would be fidgeting with that cord throughout the entire phone call. And every once in a while, you'd screw it up so that the cord twisted the wrong way, and then it never coiled properly again. And Dad was never happy about that. And oftentimes, those curly cords, they were way too short. I think I told you about the time my dad bought a 10-foot cord. Oh, it was so liberating. Wait, we don't have to sit on top of the phone to make a call? We can go sit down? Awesome. You still fidgeted with it. You just had more to fidget with. I mentioned the sensory memory of a typewriter a few minutes ago. That's another thing that was just everywhere. A typewriter. Every office had one. Every home had one. You had typewriter classes in school. Typewriter classes. <laughs> they were called typing classes, gamer dude. Oh yeah, I went to typewriter class. No, they were typing classes. But typewriters were everywhere. And there was a certain sensation typing on a typewriter that's very, very different from using a keyboard attached to a PC or the keyboard on a laptop. I remember taking typing classes. I took typing classes in college because my dad, of all people, told me, if you can type, you'll always be able to eat, which is true. I actually got work typing. I've talked about that in the past. We won't go down that road today. But I took a typing class, and so I learned touch typing. You may remember Mavis Beacon touch typing, where you use all the fingers 
I know a lot of folks these days use the hunt and peck method. You know, just use the first two fingers of your hand and look around on the keyboard and type as fast as you can that way. That's become acceptable. That was never acceptable when I was a kid. But when you learned typing, you learned touch typing, never looking at the keyboard, just memorizing where all the keys were. And I know how to do that. I learned how to do that. But there was something about learning to do that and learning how to apply the right pressure with your fingers to press the keys down and the metallic heaviness of pressing a typewriter key down, at least on the manual typewriter. The electric typewriter was easier because you just had to click the button and it would automatically press the key for you. But if you had a manual typewriter and you were using your little fingers on each hand to type, you had to put some effort into that typing because try pushing things down with your pinky or even your ring finger. You don't get the same kind of force as with your first or second finger. So when you were learning to touch type, you had to develop the strength in your fingers to do it properly. And there was something satisfying about the clack, 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 clack of the keys hitting the roller. And I've talked about this too. When you got to the end of a line and that little bell would go off, you don't get that bell when you're typing on a keyboard on a PC or on your laptop. There is no end of the line. The text just continues to wrap. It wraps around and around and around. You never have to hit the return button until you get to the end of a paragraph. When you were typing, when I learned how to type on a typewriter, you would type a line and at the end of the line, you'd have to hit the return bar. And every line that you finished, you had to hit the return bar. And every line that you finished caused the typewriter to ding. So there was a certain mechanical melody that developed as you were typing. So you'd have the heaviness of the keys, the heaviness of the return bar, the heaviness of the roller, the sound of the keys clacking, the little bell going off every few seconds. There was a lot of noise and a lot of sensory memories created just typing on a piece of paper. And you don't hear that anymore. You don't experience that anymore because we don't use typewriters anymore. Oh, you might run into one every once in a while. But running into one every once in a while is very, very different from using one every day to write a letter or a brief or a report. Some other memories of touch and feel... Back in the day, computers used to have floppy disks. I've actually been around for both kinds of floppy disks. They're called floppy disks, by the way, because the original disks were actually floppy. We're talking about the five and a quarter inch floppy disks. They actually flopped. They were soft and pliable. If you stood there and shook them, they were literally as flimsy as a piece of paper. And those old five and a quarter inch floppy disks, they came in an envelope. Almost every floppy disk that I remember had a wax paper as the envelope it came in. So when you took your disk out of the waxed paper, there was this sensory feel of smooth paper. And you'd put the disk in the computer. You'd put the paper on the desk. When you were done with the disk, you'd take it out and it would slide very easily back into the waxed paper envelope. I'm guessing that's why they made it a waxed papery kind of thing to make it easier for the disk to slide in and out. Now, as computers developed... They changed the kind of floppy disks you'd use. They had the five and a quarter inch floppy disk, which was smaller, even though it was larger in size, it had smaller capacity. And they replaced it with a three and a half inch floppy disk. They still called it a floppy disk, even though it was now a hard disk. But it wasn't a hard drive. There's a difference between the hard disks and the hard drives. I know it got complicated. But those three and a half inch hard disks had a metal slide that covered where the actual writable disk was inside the plastic cover. And you could slide that metal cover with your fingers. And that's one of those sensory memories that I have is sliding that metal cover. You could just move it with your thumb. It didn't accomplish anything, but it was kind of spring-loaded. When you put it into your computer, the computer would slide the disc so it could write onto the disc. But if you were sitting there at your desk fidgeting, you could play with that slide. And I did. 
There was something satisfying about snapping that little slide back and forth, making that cover go back and forth while you were fidgeting. Yeah, I'm a fidget. I do that kind of thing. You know something else associated with the old computers? It's the dot matrix printer. Not only the sound that it made, there was a distinct sound that a dot matrix printer made that you just don't hear anymore. It was a very mechanical, almost robotic whining as the printer would go back and forth over the page. But the other thing that you had was the paper that you actually used in a dot matrix printer. The paper came in a large box, and it was all attached. It was perforated, but all attached. And along the sides were holes that fed through the wheels of the printer that would enable the paper to be pulled through the printer so it could be printed on. And then after your document was done printing, you would tear the perforated paper off from where it ended. And then the little holes along the side of the pages, those were perforated too. And you'd tear those off. And that was a whole process and a whole series of sensory memories. Because what you'd have to do is fold the paper over the perforation so that it would tear cleanly. You don't want to have little nubs hanging on the paper where you tore the perforated segments off. And there was something satisfying about getting that perfect tear. If you've ever opened a roll of saran wrap or aluminum foil, for instance, and you pull that tab off of it so that you can lift the lid, that's the same kind of tearing sensation you do as you separated the perforated paper that was in your dot matrix printer. The last thing you wanted to do was trim the perforated paper after you'd pulled all the stuff off of it. You wanted a clean pull. I know, simple things, right? But it was. It was a simple thing we wanted to strive for. Here's a couple other memories that technology has taken away from us. VHS tapes. A lot of those tapes would come in plastic containers, and they were a big, heavy plastic container that somehow snapped shut when you put the tape in it. And I don't know what made it snap shut, and I don't know what kept it closed. I guess it was just the way the plastic was molded. It fit together just right so that when you closed the plastic container, it closed with a satisfying little click. And when you opened it, you'd have the same satisfying kind of click. If you've been to a garage sale, if you've been to a flea market, you see those Disney movies that are on VHS that people are still trying to get rid of. Those are the cases that I'm talking about. But there was a period of time where all of the movies came in that kind of case. They realized that was an expensive kind of case, so they stopped making movies in those big, heavy plastic containers. But Disney always kept those big plastic containers because they figured their movies were going to be keepsakes, and that's why you can still find them. But yeah, those big, heavy plastic containers just had a heft to them and a feel to them and a sound to them when you opened them and when you closed them. But because we don't use VHS hardly at all anymore, you don't have that experience anymore. The other thing you don't have with the VHS tape, that static. Remember the static at the beginning and the end of the tape when the movie just started or when the movie was just over? You'd have that white screen of static and you'd also have the associated white noise to go with it too. You'd have that and then the sound would kick in and you'd get the FBI notice warning you not to pirate this copy of the movie. You still get that notice, but you don't get the static and you don't get the white noise. You know, we really don't get that static anywhere anymore. Because of cable, because of streaming services, it's very rare that you see that white snow on the screen of your TV, and it's very rare that you get that white noise. There were times where TV stations used to sign off the air. They would stop their broadcast day. Two in the morning, three in the morning, your local station would put that little video up. We've reached the end of our broadcast day. We'll resume broadcasting at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Now, our national anthem. And they play a music montage of eagles flying and bands marching and military guys driving tanks set against the Star-Spangled Banner. And then they'd go dark. And so the only thing on the station would be white static. And that, that would be it for three hours. 
That doesn't happen anymore. Everybody broadcasts 24-7. They never go off the air. If they don't have any programming, they'll feed you infomercials. But there's never a time where you get that white static. The final one for you today is the sensation of looking for a coin in a payphone. We don't have that anymore because we don't have payphones. But I remember as a kid, and even as a young adult, you would go up to a payphone and make a call. Or you would go up to a payphone just because you happened to be near it. And there was always a little change return slot on the phone. It had a little metal cover. You'd lift that metal cover up with your finger or push it back out of the way. And you'd put your finger in the slot looking for coins. Because I can't tell you how many times people would make a phone call, get change, and forget to take it. And there was something satisfying about lifting that little metal lid out of the way with your finger and dipping in that little compartment, digging around for a coin, and coming up with a nickel or a dime or hitting the jackpot with a quarter. That was such an awesome feeling when you were a little kid. Oh man, I got a quarter. This is great. And then if there was a bank of phones, you'd go up the whole bank and try every single one. I got one quarter. There's got to be more, right? There never was, but you'd always try. But sadly, we can't look for quarters in payphones anymore because we don't have payphones anymore. It's such a shame. I remember that. And I remember the thrill of finding those coins. It was awesome. And I remember the little clink. Because you'd tip the little lid out of the way, there'd be a little clink as it hit the inside of the phone and you'd be rooting around in there looking for your coins. It was a huge little sensory experience that I remember and I remember the noises. But we won't really have that ever again. And it's kind of a shame. Oh, there's a lot of sensory memories that I have that we didn't even get to today. And I'm going to leave you with one of them. Have you ever had to roll down a window in a car using a manual hand crank? If you've never had to do that, you missed out. But we'll talk about that more next time we talk about sensory memories. For now, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a part of things. As always, I can't thank you enough for your support. And I really do appreciate all the time you spend listening. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.